And we're going to camp out in John's Gospel, as Joe just read to us, John chapter 14. If only I could find it. Don't you hate it when a book of the Bible moves? It's really annoying, isn't it? Where's it gone? It was in. Oh, it was in the, old, the other testament. Great. Let's pray. Father God, this is, has to be more than a sermon. has to be more than just human words. May you speak today. And may we have ears to listen. In Jesus' name. Amen. I, today I, I want to speak about what I think is the most important thing I've spoken about yet. And I'm given to say that, right? I probably think that every week. You don't write a sermon, hopefully, without being convicted that it matters, what you're saying matters. And yet, I think there's something, or rather someone, I'm to speak of today, who is the most important person that any of us could hear about and know about if we are to pursue a walk, a living walk with Jesus. I want to talk about somebody who changes Every single person he meets so radically, sometimes subtly, sometimes obviously, but always radically, that the people that he meets become completely unrecognizable. I want to talk about somebody who reshapes lives, who heals, who transforms others. I want to talk about someone who, uh, when you meet them, they bring to you, he brings to you such joy that some people can't contain the explosion of laughter that emerges from them. Some cry tears. Others have such powerful encounters with this person that they, there have been certain people who have felt they were going to die because of the power of the one with whom they were meeting. But he's not someone to be afraid of. He heals those he touches. He brings peace, joy, and life. He showers people with grace not somebody to be feared somebody to be loved and I'm not talking about Jesus just this last Thursday was Ascension Day and on Ascension Day the church celebrates the Ascension of Jesus the time where Jesus returns to be with the Father it's a moment of great celebration we, we have a Lord a human a man in the glory of God at God's right hand, ruling and reigning. And yet for the disciples, the first disciples who have Jesus as their buddy, who are used to Jesus being at their right hand and them at his, it's probably not a day of celebration. You know the story in Acts chapter 1, Jesus goes to be with the Father and he's left them with this extraordinary commission to spread the good news the gospel all over the known universe, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The kind of job description that makes their knees quake. How are they going to do it? And the fact that he's ascended seems to make it almost impossible that they could fulfill 
this commission? How are they to go on? And yet they do go on. The book of Acts, for those who have read it, is so compelling. It's so full of power. And the most powerful thing is that these ordinary men and women do the very thing that Jesus said they would. And we finish the book of Acts with the gospel having spread in exactly the way, through persecution, yes, but exactly the way that Jesus promised and anticipated that it would. How was this possible? This was possible because of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who makes Jesus known. And if we're to be at all serious Not just about learning the Christian faith in some intellectual sense, as if that is really worth doing, apart from learning it in a lived sense. If we're to be serious about living the Jesus way, we've got to get to know the Holy Spirit. We have to personally begin a relationship with the Holy Spirit. In my experience, there's nothing so misunderstood or disregarded as the person of the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing or no one more important than the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? That's my question today. Who is the Holy Spirit? Let's camp in John 14. Where do we begin? Verse 12. Let's read a bit of this again. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Here we have that picture of the ascension spoken about beforehand by Jesus. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he'll give you another Advocate. Here's the key thing to think about, the key uh, phrase to remember. Another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Let's leave it there for now. Another advocate. Now, there are two words in Greek for the word another. We have one in English, it's another. But there are two words in Greek. And one of them means another of a different kind. I have a shirt on here. It was actually a hand-me-down, but let that not bother you. This is a shirt. I believe it's made by Top Man. And uh, Josh here has another shirt. It's cord. It's absolutely wonderful. For those of you who can't see it from where you are, do come and feel it. It has to be felt to be believed. Uh, Josh's shirt. Now, we're both wearing shirts. They both have similarities. They've both got collars. They're both a different kind of blue. But they are shirts of a different kind. And that's the first word that we have in Greek for another, heteros. Uh, It means another of a different kind. But there's another word for another in Greek, and that word is alos. And it means another of the same kind. And the word that's used in John's Gospel for another here, another counsellor, is the word alos. It means, or alon, it means another of the same kind. That's what Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to be like, another of the same kind. In other words, one just like Jesus. I'm going to send you an advocate, and he's, just, he's going to be just like me. That's what Jesus is saying. Not like just like me, Johnny Hughes. That wouldn't be good news. Just like me, Jesus Christ. 
That is the another you're going to get. Another of the same kind. And that's why, all the way through the New Testament, in Acts 16.7, the Holy Spirit's referred to as the Spirit of Jesus. In Philippians 1.19, he's referred to as the Spirit of Christ. And on, there are a number of occasions in the New Testament where that happens. The Spirit of, and then we see Jesus' name because the Holy Spirit is another like Jesus. You need to hear that. Because if you're, if you're afraid of the Holy Spirit, it's usually because you don't understand that he's just like Jesus. And he'll never do something that Jesus wouldn't do. The Holy Spirit is like Jesus, another like Jesus. And then the next word we have after the word another is advocate. Some versions of the Bible, you may have one open before you that says something like counsellor. There are others as well that I can't remember in different translations. The Greek word is this word, strange word, we don't really use it today. It's paraclete, which uh, is, not the, is not that kind of bird that you see in a zoo. It's not parakeet. The Holy Spirit is not a parakeet. The Holy Spirit is a paraclete. Parakletos is the word. It, and a, a paraclete, a parakeet is a bird that comes and rests, maybe that'll help you remember, rests on your shoulder. But a paraclete is one who comes alongside. That's the vision, one who comes alongside. So just as Jesus came alongside the disciples, isn't that what he did at the beginning? He came alongside them and called them and said, hey, come follow me. Just as Jesus did that, and he stayed alongside the disciples all the way through their journey of following him. In fact, he never left them. They left him, but he never left them. So in the same manner, the Holy Spirit will come alongside God's people and counsel them. Support them, help them, teach them, instruct them. Do all of the things that Jesus did for God's people. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The paraclete is the one who comes alongside, who comes to do the things that Jesus did and enables the disciples and you and I too to do the things that those disciples did. You know, we can think, oh, we're at such a disadvantage today. Those disciples had Jesus, and if only I had Jesus, I too could do the things that they did. You don't get off the hook that lightly, friends. You have the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You have everything you need to live the Jesus way. Everything you need. It is through the person of the Holy Spirit that Jesus will be with the disciples to the end of the age. You know, we talk here all the time, and I want to make a, a, an apology, I think. We talk all about the presence of God. That's wonderful. But I don't think I've been specific enough. The presence of God is not some generic force. The presence of God has a name. The presence of God is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit with us ministers Jesus to us. And Jesus, when with us by his Holy Spirit, leads us into the arms of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the one we're seeking. The Holy Spirit is the one we need. He is the one we worship. It is in his power that our lives are made whole. It's when we come to him that we're made alive. And Jesus did everything he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, some people think, mistakenly, 
that Jesus healed people because he was God. Not so. There are many stories of people in the Bible who healed other people who weren't God. Elijah and Elisha and many others, Moses and others, were able to do works of healing. Jesus didn't heal people because he was God. No. Jesus' ability to heal people was because he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened in his baptism. You know, the, the, the clouds part, the voice of God. This is my son, my beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. The dove descends on him and he is empowered for ministry. He is immersed in the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. We as disciples need the same immersion. We need the same baptism that Jesus had. Now, there isn't just one baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some people believe there is. There isn't. We believe in the second baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is the one after the first baptism and before the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. There is no end to the amount of times that the Holy Spirit can come and fill God's people. We see this in Acts. They're filled in Acts chapter 2. They're then filled again in Acts chapter 3 and so on and so forth. This is not a one-time event, but this is an ongoing, repeatable experience of God for God's people. We need more of the Holy Spirit. Our greatest need is for more of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? That Your greatest need is not for a new iPad or for a new relationship. Your greatest need isn't even for more friends, although we pray By God's grace, we'll all get more friends on this journey. Your greatest need is for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life. Your greatest need is that God would take hold of you such that you would never be the same. And that's certainly my greatest need as well. So what then does the Holy Spirit do? If he is... The personal presence of God. What does he do? Well, he comes alongside us. That's what we've said. He comes alongside us. What does he do when he draws along by our sides? I want to suggest three things. Shock horror, you say. Three things, Johnny? You? Three points? No. Yes. First thing the Holy Spirit enables us to do. Verse 18 of John chapter 14 is to know the Father's love. I will not leave you, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. The Holy Spirit makes the Father known. Not in some intellectualized, distant way. No. In a personal way. Tender, real, dare I say it, emotionally real way. If all the Holy Spirit is enabled to do in our lives is to touch our minds, our intellects, that is good, let me say that. The Holy Spirit sets truth on fire, yes. And we want to see great thinkers emerging. A spirit-filled environment will produce people who are able to think thoughts that were never thought before. However, It's not just intellectual knowing that we seek. It is a personal knowing. 
The Holy Spirit enables us to know the Father's love in a personal way. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to experience God. Romans 8. Can I put this on a slide? It says, uh, verse 15 to 16, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery. We sang this, no longer a slave to fear, child of God, to fall back into fear. This is where they nicked it. They nicked it from the Bible. Can you believe it, these pesky songwriters? Can't come up with their own material. But you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father. It is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we're children of God. The spirit of God enables us to say, God, you are my father. Abba, that word means, it's sort of a bit like daddy, but it's, 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 there's a tone of respect as well, something like papa. It's intimate. Abba, father. You can only say that of God if you've experienced the spirit of God. So many of us have trouble relating to God intimately. What we need is to be in in a living experience again of the Spirit of God. And we can run out of that. We need to be refilled and refreshed in the Father heart of God. We need more of the Holy Spirit. I read a story this week about Charles Finney. Some of you know of him. He was an evangelist in the States. During the 19th century, Billy Graham, who knew a thing or two about evangelism, he said this about Finney. Few men have had such a profound impact on their generation as Charles Grandison Finney. Great middle name. Maybe that was the secret. No, it wasn't. Through the spirit-filled, through his spirit-filled evangelistic ministry, uncounted thousands came to know Christ, resulting in one of the greatest periods of revival in the history of America. By the way, that's what we're after. In the following excerpt, Finney recounts his empower, the empowering by the Holy Spirit while alone in his law office after his conversion in the autumn of 1821. I'm going to read this to us now. This is first person account. Finney says, But as I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit without any expectation of it, without ever having the thought in my mind that there was any such thing for me, without my recollection that I had ever heard the thing mentioned by any person in the world. The Holy Ghost descended on me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love, for I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. And I do not know, but I should say, I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. The waves came over me and over me, one after the other, until I recollect, I cried out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I cannot bear any more. Yet I had no fear of death. How long I continued in this state with this baptism continuing to roll over me and go through me, I do not know. But I know it was late in the evening when a member of my choir, for I was the leader of the choir, came into the office to see me in this state of loud weeping and said to me, Mr. Finney, what ails you? 
I could make him no answer for some time. He then said, are you in pain? I gathered myself up as best I could and replied, no, but so happy that I cannot live. He turned and left the office and in a few minutes returned with one of the elders of the church. <laughs> Can you imagine that conversation? Uh, elder, uh, the reverend is in a state. The elders of the church, whose shop was nearly across the way from our office, the elder was a very serious man and in my presence had been very watchful and I had scarcely ever seen him laugh when he came in. I was very much in the state in which I was when the young man went out to call him. He asked me how I felt and I began to tell him. Instead of saying anything, he fell into a most spasmodic laughter. It seemed as if it was impossible for him to keep from laughing from the very bottom of his heart. Do you want that? Don't you want that? With all of your heart, don't you want him? Waves and waves of liquid love. The Holy Spirit shows us the love of the Father. This is to be the source, the overflowing, the ever-flowing source of our intimacy with God. If you lack in intimacy with God, cry out for the Holy Spirit in your life. And cry out and cry out until you have him. We must have more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables us to know the Father's love. The Holy Spirit enables us to become like Jesus. Verse 16. And I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. That's not it. Yeah, no, that is it. <laughs> to help you. There we go. And be with you forever. The Holy Spirit helps us. What does he help us do? Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. The Holy Spirit enables us to keep the commands of Jesus and become like Jesus. If you're stuck in your faith, if you're struggling with a particular pattern of behavior, if you're struggling to gain mastery of a particular part of your life or to grow in a particular discipline, it isn't just more self-discipline you need, as if you have that within you to summon up. No, it's more of the Holy Spirit. You need to ask for God's help. It is with God's help that we're enabled to become more like Jesus. Without Jesus' help, through the Holy Spirit, we have no power, no hope of following Jesus. That's why it's called grace. That's why our faith rests on grace, not our own strength, our own ability, our own self-discipline. And let me tell you, I've relied on my own discipline to get me so far. And all it gets me is burned out and frustrated. The Holy Spirit enables us to live the Christian life. Without him, it is completely impossible. Folks, the game was set up that way. It is not meant to be possible with human effort. Tozer says this, The Spirit-filled life is not a special, deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. Let's keep that up for a second. This is not Christianity phase two or phase five or phase 100. The Holy Spirit drenched life is phase one. The absolute plan of God's, uh, God's plan for his people is the Holy Spirit. 
In fact, you would have no interest in Jesus whatsoever were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit. You would feel no draw, no connection. Even if you're not, if you're not following Jesus, I'm talking to you now. You would feel no interest whatsoever in learning more about Jesus were it not for the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Some people think that the Holy Spirit only begins to work in people's lives once they come to Christ. Absolutely impossible. How then could he be at work in the world as indeed he is at all times and all places? The only reason any of us is here is because of the Holy Spirit. You know, we get into church and we stay in church and we start to think that we're any good. That we somehow are here because we are righteous. How quickly we forget what utter screw-ups we are. And that we're only here because we're called here by the grace of God and by the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. And we're not screw-ups, we're sons and daughters. The Holy Spirit enables us to follow Jesus. If you're finding it hard, get on your knees and call out for his help. And he will come to you. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit enables us to do the things that Jesus did. You'll notice here, this is our vision. To be a church on fire, to see the city come alive by encountering the Father. By becoming like Jesus and doing the things he did. The Holy Spirit is the key to all of these things. And he enables us to do the things Jesus did. Verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, and this is where I shut my ears, will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these. Oh, greater things? Greater? Great. How do you top raising the dead? word greater in Greek is megale, megale, you know, megaphone, bigger noise, that's what megaphone means. So there's different ways to understand it. Some people say greater means more impressive, take, take that or leave it. Some people say greater just means greater in quantity. Whether you choose quality or quantity, I don't think gets us off the hook. <laughs> but I think what Jesus is saying is that with the Holy Spirit's help, you can do what I did. As a multiplied people, not as one human, but as a community of humans gathered together across the world, we're going to see greater things happening. I probably go for the quantity line because I do think it's difficult to top raising the dead. But either way, we're going to see the things that Jesus saw. And the only way we're going to see them is because of the Holy Spirit. How is it that the gospel spread over the entire world within a generation? It isn't because these people were better educated than you and I. It isn't because they were any more full of faith than you and I. It isn't because they're better in any respect. It's because God poured his spirit out upon them. And the persecution spread them all across the known world. And the Holy Spirit is able to empower each one of us to live the life that God has assigned for us. doesn't mean we're going to become a New Testament apostle. It might mean that the Holy Spirit is going to set your motherhood or your fatherhood, your accountancy. Give me some more examples. Your nursing, your doctoring, your teaching, your painting. You're arting. 
whatever, the Holy Spirit might set that on fire and enable you in the midst of that to do the ministry of Jesus. Whatever that would look like. But there will be some who are sent for sure. There will be people in this room who are called by the Holy Spirit to plant churches. There are already people in this room called by the Holy Spirit to plant churches. To be missionaries. To see the gospel spread in far and near places. Who gets to choose what each one of us does? Only the Holy Spirit. Our job, our responsibility is simply to ask him for more. Let me land with this. What can we do? What can we do? That's what he does. What can we do? We must cry out for more. We have to raise up a a personal but a corporate cry for more of the Holy Spirit. Like many before us, like the disciples, we gather together in a place this place, and we call out to God for more. Church, it is time. Not, it is not time to coast. It is time to contend. When we see the world that we're faced with, when we see the darkness around us, how could we not contend for more of God? Bono says you have to kick at darkness until it bleeds daylight. If we're going to kick at darkness, we need more than a shoe. We need the Holy Spirit. Can't do it alone. This isn't about merely human work. We can't climb the mountain on our own. It has to be a work of God. And that means that we have a personal responsibility, a corporate responsibility, but it also means that it's got to be more than just what we're doing. But we must not coast. We must contend. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Church, I'm calling you today. Consecrate yourself. Set your own life apart for him. I want you to take this week And ask yourself the question, what would it look like for me to set myself apart for this work? What would it look like for me to consider my life as a vessel for the Holy Spirit? What would it look like for me to open up everything in my life and say, God, you can have it all. Take whatever it is you want. Just give me more of you. And to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and say, Lord, what is it that you would want? I'll give you anything. Take anything. Take everything. Just take all of me. Each of us must pursue a personal revival of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let me say that again. Each of us must pursue a personal revival of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Each of us must pursue a personal revival of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what it means to be a church on fire. No excuses. We won't relent until we have more of him. And that means inviting the Holy Spirit into daily things. It's not just 15-hour prayer meetings. 
It means we begin our day and we just say, Lord, here I have these simple tasks before me. Today, I'm going to write some emails. Today, I'm going to change some nappies. Today, I'm going to immunize some people. Today, I'm going to take some people's temperature. Today, I'm going to write an essay. Whatever it is for you. Today, I'm going to paint some walls. Today, I'm going to pick up some rubbish. Today, I'm just going to write a sermon, drink some coffee, whatever it is. Would you move, Lord? Would you set it on fire? Would you use it for your glory? I was praying, I was, had the privilege this week of spending much of the week in Northern California. And in the, uh, I wasn't well, unfortunately. So in the bits of it where I wasn't feeling queasy, uh, had occasion with a group of friends who are very close to me to pray. And it was a, honestly, it was an incredibly encouraging time. But it, these, these folks I was with are just wonderful people. They're also very talented. Now, I found myself falling into the comparison trap. You've, you've, you've met that one? Where you look at somebody around you and you think, gosh, why are they so amazing and why am I such a toad? <laughs> I was doing that for most of the week. <laughs> You know, and they, they prayed for me and there were some powerful times and everyone else was being prophesied. <laughs> oh, there's a, the Lord's got this for you and that for you and the other. And, everyone, and, and for my prayer time, it was just, no, these are the things that you need to face. <laughs> <laughs> and God was so gracious to show me that stuff. And I know I need to face those things in the power of the Holy Spirit. But as I was praying, I asked the Lord, well, what is it that, what is it? And, uh, and my friend told me to pray like this. So I started out that morning. I just said, Lord, what is it that would please you today? What is it that I could do that please you today? And he said this to me, simple faith. Simple faith would please me. In other words, if you believed that what I was saying to you was of me, and you acted on it. What does a church on fire look like? It's a church with simple faith. A church that hears the word of the Lord and obeys it. A church that asks for more of God. And a church who believes that God has drawn near already. And that we have enough, more than enough, to serve him today. Why don't we stand? We're going to ask for him to come.